This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 12 of Up the River by Oliver Optic The Calamity on French Reef I jumped to the conclusion that the islander had struck on one of the shoals I had noticed on the chart, and the heavy sea was pounding her on the bottom. It could be only a question of time when she would knock a hole in her and go to pieces. Washburn was wide awake as soon as he heard the gun, and giving him the wheel, I proceeded to examine the chart. According to the dead reckoning, we ought to be a little to the southward of French Shoal. While I was satisfying myself in regard to our position, another gun sounded over the troubled sea. That can't be the islander's gun, said Washburn. She has nothing on board but a little yacht gun, and the piece we heard is a six, if not a twelve-pounder. I think you are right, Bob. The sound came from the leeward. I have no doubt it is some vessel in distress, and we must do something for her. Call all hands, I continued as I took the wheel and headed the Sylvania due west by the compass. Though it was not foggy, the air was thick, and I could see nothing ahead. We had a very strong wind on our port quarter, and it was extremely dangerous to approach the reefs from the windward. In a moment, all hands were on deck, except Moses Brickland, who was required to take the engine whenever all hands were called on an emergency. I directed Hop Tosford to take the wheel and keep her due west. I asked the mate to fire our little yacht gun in answer to the signal we had heard. The moment the report sounded, through the vessel I heard Mrs. Shepherd scream. I told the chief engineer to give the steamer about half speed, and hastened into the cabin to satisfy the passengers that nothing had happened to us, and explain what we were doing. Mrs. Shepherd assured us that we should all be lost, but I told her we would be extremely careful. I asked my father, Colonel Shepherd, and Owen to come on deck, leaving Mr. Tiffany and Gus Shepherd to take charge of the ladies. I explained the situation to them, and while we were talking about it, another gun was heard to leeward. It sounded heavier and nearer than before, and I was sure the signal was not given by the islander. It is plain enough that a vessel has gone ashore on one of these reefs, I said. I can see nothing ahead, but the gun sounds to this direction. Before the words were fairly out of my mouth, a sky rocket flashed up directly over our bow. We had rockets on board, and I directed Ben to discharge one of them. It was followed by another from the vessel in distress. Then some Bengola lights were fired, and they illuminated the sea for a mile at least around her. Buck Lingley was sounding and reporting no bottom. I told the engineer to give her more steam, for I feared the people on the unfortunate vessel might be drowning, and a minute might save a life, if not more. As long as the bright Bengola light burned, I kept the steamer going at full speed. Most of the dangerous reefs were marked by beacons, or at least the outer range of the reef was so marked. The sea was very heavy, and Buck Lingley still reported no bottom. He used a hand lead, which measures twenty fathoms of depth. The Bengola light soon burned out, and I rang the speed bell. This reduced our rate to one-half, but it seemed to me that we were going altogether too fast, as the strong southeast gale was driving us towards the reefs. 
I rang the gong, and the vessel stopped. "'And a half seventeen, shouted Buck. "'The water is shoaling,' said the mate. "'By the mark ten, called the leadsman. "'Get out some rockets and Bengola lights, Washburn,' I continued nervously. "'The people on the wreck don't even give us a light to steer by.' "'And a half seven, shouted the leadsman. I rang to back her, for she shoaled too rapidly for my nerves. I told the mate to light a bengola on the heel of the bowsprit. When he did so, the brilliant light enabled me to see the wreck very distinctly, and less than a hundred yards from the Sylvania she was a large bark, with all her sails furled. Her captain had probably taken in all sails as soon as the vessel struck the reef. The chart informed me there were rocks only a few feet below the surface of the water. The wreck was headed to the southwest, but this could not have been the direction in which she was sailing when she struck the reef. On that course she would have gotten into trouble before. "'By the deep seven, said the leadsman in loud and shrill tones. I rang to go ahead, and at the same time told the mate to keep the Bengola lights burning. Ben Bowman was stationed at the end of the bowsprit that the light might not blind his eyes. I had purchased a plentiful supply of fireworks in New York for festive occasions, and we were in no danger of exhausting them, as they had evidently done on the wreck. "'Give her about ten turns a minute, Moses,' I called to the engineer through the speaking tube. Ten turns a minute,' he replied, to make sure that I had been understood." "'Steady as she is, Hop,' I said to the wheelman. "'If you see anything like a buoy, stop and back her as quick as you can.' "'Aye, aye, sir,' replied the wheelman. I went on the hurricane deck to get a better view of the wreck. It was hard to stand up in that part of the vessel, for she pitched and rolled very badly, while she was making so little headway. By holding on at the railing, I got to a point where I could hug the foremast. The wreck was very low down, and I concluded that she was full of water. And a half six, said Buck. This was thirty-nine feet of water, and we were in no danger yet. The waves were beating over the deck of the bark. It was clear enough that she must go to pieces before morning. Her bulwarks were stove on the weather side of her, and while I was looking at her at the foremast went by the board. I saw that the step of the mast must have been torn away by grinding upon the rocks. We were then a few hundred feet of her stern, and the billows were too savage to permit of going any nearer. I hastened down to the pilot house, rang to stop her, and then to back her. I intended to be that we had full control of the steamer before we went any nearer. I found that the Sylvania backed well against the head sea, and then I stopped her screw. In an instant, I found that the steamer was driving towards the wreck. I rang to back her again and readily checked her. I saw that the only way I could approach the unfortunate vessel was to get under her lee. The sea was altogether too rough for our little quarter boats, though both of them were lifeboats. By occasionally backing the screw, we ran within fifty feet of the wreck, and I could hear the roar of the gale through the standing rigging of the bark and the heavy pounding of the billows against her side. "'Steamer ahoy!' shouted a man on the trifrail of the vessel. "'On board the bark!' replied Washburn on the top four-gallant forecastle. "'What is the condition of the vessel?' 
our forefoot is gone, and we are stove through forward. She's full of water, replied the man. She's grinding on the reef, and we'll go to pieces in a few hours. How much water have you under her lee? I shouted. From one to three fathoms, replied the captain of the bark, as we judged that he was. With the utmost care, I ran the Sylvania under the lee of the bark and I think it must have taken all of the tact of Moses Brickland to handle the engine in accordance with the bells I rang. But as soon as the bow of the steamer was under the lee of the bark, it was in comparatively smooth water. From the statement of the captain and the depth of water he reported, I concluded that one of the sharp spurs of rocks was sticking through her bottom near where her forefoot had been, and that she was held in this position by the reef. Buck, kept on sounding and reported four fathoms at the stern of the wreck. Cobbington was now in charge of the Bengolas, and Washburn was getting the hawsers ready to make fast to the bark. We put out our fenders, and the mate heaved a line into the waist of the wreck. Ben Bowman did the same, throwing his line over the stern. The lines were caught by the seamen aboard and made fast. Though the water was fairly still at the leeward of the bark, I found that the vessel was rolling badly and greatly endangering the safety of the Sylvania. The gale was driving the wreck further onto the reef, and I feared that the mainmast would go by the board and fall on the steamer. All aboard that are going, I shouted at the top of my lungs, and I stood at the wheel ready to do whatever an emergency might require. The two vessels were grinding their sides together, and nothing but our fenders saved our planks from being torn off. The men on board the bark were very slow in seeking safety, and I was about to repeat my former call when I saw two women appear on the rail by the mizzen rigging. Our hands hastened to their assistance, and as the bark was so low in the water, they had no difficulty in getting them on our hurricane deck. As soon as they were safely on board, the men poured upon us without further delay. There was not one among them that would leave the wreck until the women were safe. The officers and seamen brought with them whatever they could carry of their personal property. One of them returned and cast off the hawsers. As soon as the fasts were cast off, I rang to back her, and bringing the Sylvania's head up to the wind, I wore her gradually around till she was headed to the eastward. The sea was white with foam from the raging billows, and the little steamer leaped like an antelope as she went ahead of her course. It was impossible to stand up in any part of her. I ran out about four miles to the eastward where the steamer was when we heard the signal gun from the wreck. We had been absent on our run to the reef about two hours. We laid our course as before, and I gave the wheel to Hop Tosford that I might attend the wants of the shipwrecked guests on board. The Sylvania was rolling on her new course at a frightful rate and our deck was deluged with water every moment. The gale seemed to be increasing rather than diminishing, and I was not sure how long we could stand such a tumbling about as we were getting. With no little difficulty and exertion, we got a reefed foresail up, which steadied her very much. I went down into the cabin where I had sent the ladies from the wreck. I found our passengers propped up in such a way as they could devise to keep from being hurled across the cabin floor at each roll of the vessel. 
the strangers seemed to be quite at home and were relating their adventures to the other ladies who were listening with so much interest that they appeared to have forgotten sylvania was laboring in very heavy sea i saw that i was not wanted there i went on deck and found that the sailors from the wreck were stowed away in the driest places they could find i invited them all down into the forward cabin and assigned the mate to the spare berth there the others must sleep on the floor for we could do nothing better for them mr mate where is your captain i asked i don't think he came below sir he's feeling very badly about the loss of his vessel replied the mate i will try to find him he went on deck with me and we found him coiled away under the top-gallant forecastle i invited him to come into the pilot-house and he followed me thither i am sorry for your misfortune captain i said when we had seated himself a bat of the wheel it is a sorry sight for me my vessel is lost and i have not the least idea how it happened he replied very sadly i did my best to comfort him i saw that he was quite as much exhausted by his mental sufferings as by his physical exertions i conducted him to my stateroom and i gave him my berth in a short time he was asleep. End of chapter.